Hello, and welcome to United We Stand podcast, a podcast exploring American unity through the lens of American political history. Today, we're going to take a look at a speech by President Theodore Roosevelt called Citizenship in a Republic, given at the Sorbonne in Paris on April 23rd, 1910. A lot of people know this speech, although probably that title didn't ring a bell. This speech is also often called the Man in the Arena speech, which we will quote later. But to do a little bit of background for this, Theodore Roosevelt had left the presidency in 1909 after serving almost eight years. He had promised the country that he would not seek election to another term even though he was eligible to do so. And he felt like at the end of his presidency, he was sad. He was really, really loving being the president and was depressed when he had to leave office. So he had planned for himself an Africa expedition, which was his term for exploring the African continent, hunting big game, and then sending what he had hunted back to the Smithsonian so that others could see it and experience a bit of Africa, even if they weren't able to leave the United States. He left for that trip in 1909. His trip through Africa lasted for quite a while. He finished the Africa trip in 1910, and on his way back home to the U.S., to New York, he took a long vacation with his wife and family through Europe, stopping at a couple of places to give speeches, including the Sorbonne in Paris. He also spoke at Oxford. And then finally, he spoke in Norway to formally accept the Nobel Prize that he had won four years earlier, helping broker peace between Russia and Japan in 1904 and 1905. I wanted to take a look at this speech, again, as part of this series, exploring what does it mean to be a citizen of America and what does it mean to practice being a citizen in America? It, for me, means that we need to practice unity. We need to have pride in our country. We can do that without agreeing with everybody. We can do that with acknowledging the things that we as a country have done wrong. And in fact, when we acknowledge those wrongs, we will actually strengthen our country because we are helping ourselves to heal. And from healing comes strength. Very much like when you go to the gym and lift weights, you know, you're actually tearing your muscles a little bit, but that allows your muscles to rebuild stronger. Apologizing and making right the things that we have done in the past is going to do the same thing. It's going to make us stronger as a country. Citizenship in the Republic was a speech given, like I had mentioned, in 1910, and he gave it to the Sorbonne in Paris. The Sorbonne was the university system in Paris. It was considered for a long time the oldest university in the world, having established in 1150. It actually broke up in the 1970s and became multiple independent university systems. The way that I was trying to understand this, I likened it to the California university system, where they're all part of one system. However, they are each individual colleges and universities. So when he was there, he gave this speech. And before we get into it, I was curious how many speeches did Roosevelt give in a lifetime. And there's not an exact count, but we do know that Edmund Morris, one of his biographers, estimates that he wrote more than 150,000 letters. And we know that the letters didn't always mean speeches. And he also was an author and wrote some books. So we could say without exaggerating that he may have written and spoken formally approximately 200,000 times, whether that's through letters, speeches, books, etc. Prolific is definitely a word. 
that is applicable here. What was the overall message of the speech, Citizenship in the Republic, was to encourage the listeners, both in France, but also he expected it to be published and transcribed for American listeners, was to encourage people to take pride in their country and also to take responsibility for their country, which is exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast. It's funny that we're seeing this pattern, that there's nothing new, there's no new ideas. I didn't base this podcast off of this speech, although I do admire the things that Theodore Roosevelt did. As a person, as a president, was he perfect? No but nobody is. And are there things that we could fault him for? Yeah, there are. But there are also things that we can acknowledge and admire and strive to bring into our own lives, into our modern society. So when he was giving this speech, he wanted to convey that every individual is somebody that should take accountability for the country that they live in. One of the portions of his speech, and it, it's long, <laughs> he was not a short speaker. He was not brief ever. But he had said during the speech, the power of accepting individual responsibility, and yet of acting in conjunction with others, courage and resolution, these are the qualities which mark a masterful people. Again, he was speaking to the citizens of France, who in the speech he referred to as one of the only other free republics in the world at that time, 1910. Without doing a ton of history, you might think about what about the UK? Well, they were still sovereign ruled. They had a hybrid government. And how much power did the king really have? That's something we could debate. But France had no royalty as the United States had no royalty. To that point, he was making this statement that the power of accepting individual responsibility and yet of acting in conjunction with others is what marks a masterful people. In other words, those are things that are needed to have an exceptionally great country. He went on to say that perhaps the most important thing the ordinary citizen, and above all the leader of ordinary citizens, has to remember in political life is that he must not be a sheer doctrinaire. The closet philosopher, the find and cultured individual who from his library tells how men ought to be governed under ideal conditions is of no use in actual government work and the one-sided fanatic and still more the mob leader and the insincere man who to achieve power promises what by no possibility can be performed are not merely useless but noxious he was essentially saying that people who armchair quarterback politics, which we might know today as news pundits, people who are not actually out there trying to make policy, trying to make law, trying to enact things that make the country better, but are simply commenting on it, are not often good and in fact can be toxic, which is something that we see all the time today. It's something that he saw back 113 years ago when he gave this speech, and certainly it's something that was present 200 years ago. It's not something that's new, and so certainly, as I've touched on in other portions of this podcast series, we are not facing any new challenges in this country, which is why we can and we should look for ways to make it better. And it's our responsibility to do that because we are the holders of our fate right now. We can't wait for the future. We can look to the past but we can't rely on the past. He continued, the citizen must have high ideals and yet he must be able to achieve them in practical fashion. No permanent good comes from aspirations so lofty that they have grown fantastic and have become impossible and indeed undesirable to realize. Woe to the empty phrase maker, to the empty idealist who instead of making ready the ground for the man of action turns against him when he appears and hampers him as he does the work. Roosevelt was telling people that they must have high ideals, but 
they must have a willingness to get them done. The idea how that might translate today is compromise, working together, that there's a there's a political expression called getting half a loaf. And really, it's an expression older than that. But it's commonly used in politics where we want a whole loaf if we're hungry, right? We want a full loaf of bread. But are we willing and should we take half a loaf if that's all we can get? And the answer is yes, half a loaf is better than nothing, which is exactly what Roosevelt is saying here is that we may want 100% of whatever it is. If we can get either 100 or zero, should we settle for 50%? And his answer is yes. And my answer is yes. In most times, yes. If you can get part of what you're seeking, that's the first step, right? You can't go from base to summit when you're climbing a mountain. You have to take steps in between. Is that me advocating for taking such slow measured steps that nothing ever gets done in our lifetime. No, it's not. It's not at all. But we have to be able to to use the intellect that we have to move us forward as a people. And sometimes that comes with half a loaf instead of a full loaf. And Roosevelt went on to caution the listeners against extremism, but not against ideals. He went on to say, we can just as little afford to follow the doctrinaires of an extreme individualism as the doctrinaires of an extreme socialism. Individual initiative, so far from being discouraged, should be stimulated. And yet we should remember that as society develops and grows more complex, we continually find that things which once it was desirable to leave to individual initiative can be performed with better results by common effort. Roosevelt was saying, or rather elaborating on the idea that we have to be open-minded to what's best for us as people and what's best for us as a country, and not to lean so far into the extreme of individual or I can do this by myself, nor to lean to the extreme of socialism, as he called it, where the government does everything and there's no accountability to the individual. He's, he's encouraging us to aim for something in the middle and to avoid the extremes. Because, again, to quote him, when society becomes more complex under changed conditions, things can be performed better by common effort. He's acknowledging that we need to work together in certain things in order to achieve the things that we all need. And what those things are changes from generation to generation, right? When we were an agrarian culture 150, 200 years ago, one person or one family or one small community could help with the farm, grow crops for everybody, everybody's feeding, everybody's living. And today we have a much more complex agricultural system, as an example, where for me to get food, I have to rely on a farmer plus a laborer, typically a migrant laborer. I have to rely on a truck driver. I have to rely on people working in a canning factory. I have to rely on people who deliver the products. Again, the truck driver. I have to rely on the people who stock the shelves at the store, typically a low-waged employee. I have to rely on the government employee at the USDA who says that the food is good to eat, and then I have to come home and cook it. In order to do that, I rely on the city for my electricity. I rely on the people that made the stove that I use to cook the food, and I trust that the stove is not made faulty and it's not going to burn my house down. And at the end of that process, I'm able to cook a meal for my family. And it's much more complex compared to 200 years ago. But for me, it's as simple as driving to the store, getting a couple things, coming home, heating them up. So it is more complex and it's also a lot more simplified. I would not be able to provide dinner for my family today if I was the only person that was doing the work. 
I, I just couldn't do it. That's not how we've set up our society. To reinforce that, Roosevelt makes the statement of who should we be listening to? Don't listen to the extremists. Don't listen to the uber individualists. Don't listen to the uber socialists. Those are the words that he used. And certainly we still hear those things today. We need each other as a community. But how do we know who we should actually be listening to? And this is the portion of the speech that most people have heard. If you've watched any sort of Netflix, Brene Brown has quoted this. This, interestingly, was a quote used by Nelson Mandela. Mandela at the 1995 Rugby World Cup where he was encouraging his team to beat the New Zealand team. In the film, they actually swapped that out for the Poem Invictus, but in real life, he actually used a copy of this speech. Roosevelt says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows the great enthusiasms and great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows, in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Shame on the man of cultivated taste, who permits refinement to develop into fastidiousness, that unfits him for doing the rough work of a workaday world. That quote is often ended with Daring Greatly because it's incredibly inspiring. I wanted to include the additional few statements at the end of that because it's an acknowledgement that we need to be able to work to achieve the things that we want. We can't rely on other people to bring the unity that we're hoping for as a country. Now, we need other people, but if we do nothing, then we shouldn't expect that what we hope for will ever come to fruition. We need to be doing the rough work of a workaday world. For us, that can mean different things. It depends on where you live. It depends on the community where you live. It depends on your circumstances. But in order to achieve a better country and a better state and a better community, we have to be people in the arena. We have to be willing to get out there. And it means that we're going to fail. And it's not failure, but it's going to sometimes come with pain and tears. It's going to feel like we're making errors or that we have shortcomings. But we know that when we do those things, we're actually learning and growing and achieving what we want for the world. And it may not seem like it, but at the very least, when you do those things, you will be setting an example for somebody else and you will be inspiring somebody else. And that is a victory. Even if you feel as if nothing else changes or matters, that work is a victory. I wanted to touch on one other part of this speech because I think it's something that we see a lot of today. And it can be incredibly troubling that we have political leaders who promise a lot and don't deliver and in fact do things that are the opposite of what they've promised or what our best interest is, it may feel like they're lying. And when it feels like they're lying, it erodes trust in the system and it reinforces this false narrative that our politicians, our government cannot be trusted, which does feel true a lot of the times. Why that is a false narrative or why we should reject that is because government is how we set laws and it's how we make the playing field equal for everybody. So what we must do is we must elect people to represent us who are going to be honest, 
who are going to do what they say they're going to do and who are going to do what's best on our behalf, us, the voting people. Roosevelt said, if a public man tried to get your vote by saying that he will do something wrong in your interest, you can absolutely be certain that if it ever becomes worth his while, he will do something wrong against your interest. If you have paid any sort of attention to politics in the last five to ten years, we've seen public people telling their supporters that they will screw over the other side for them. And that's never sat right with me. It's it's always, always rubbed me the wrong way. And I love how more than 100 years ago, Roosevelt was saying the same thing, that if somebody promises to do wrong to your opponent, they're going to do wrong to you. It's not if, but when. And I wanted to bring this into the speech because, again, when you are the person in the arena... You're going to hear naysayers. You're going to hear people tell you that you can't do it. You're going to hear them tell you that you're just, you're stupid for even trying. Those are the people who are sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything. I would encourage you not to listen to them. And if you see people who are trying to do something, but they're clearly espousing a bad rhetoric, if you, if you see people that are clearly lying to the public, speak out against that. Don't vote for those folks. Demand accountability. Demand truth. Demand fact-checking. Demand that we don't allow those hucksters <laughs> to get the best of our system and make us think that somehow our country isn't worth anything. I wanted to close with a portion from the end of his speech. I think that the most useful member of the family of nations is normally a strong patriotic nation. So far from patriotism being inconsistent with a proper regard for the rights of other nations, I hold that the true patriot, who is as jealous of national honor as a gentleman is of his own honor, will be careful to see that the nations neither inflect nor suffer wrong. I do not for one moment admit that a man should act deceitfully as a public servant in his dealings with other nations, any more than he should act deceitfully in his dealings as a private citizen with other private citizens. I do not for one moment admit that a nation should treat other nations in a different spirit from that in which an honorable man would treat other men. Roosevelt is calling for us to act with integrity, for us to act with honor, and for us to do right by our fellow human beings. What I have said during the last 12 episodes is we can disagree, but we can still act in the best interest of our country. We do that through productive dialogue, through productive debates. We do that through listening and building relationships with our neighbors, even if we disagree with their politics or their religion. We're all human beings, and we all have things in common. We all want what's best for ourselves. We want what's best for our kids and our grandkids. We want our homes to be safe. We want our communities to be prosperous. That is not a red and a blue issue. It's not an us or a them issue. It's an all of us issue. Unity is important so that we can all achieve those things. We will have disagreements, but we must treat each other with respect in order to be people of honor and to have a country that is considered honorable. We must be those things in order to have those things. I appreciate you listening again today. And let me remind you by repeating that it isn't the critic who counts. It's the person who is in the arena who is doing the work. It's the person who is spending themselves on a worthy cause because at the end it's worth it because if you succeed you've succeeded but if you fail you've failed while daring greatly you've left everything out there how are you going to leave things out there today and tomorrow to make your community better if you want to 
get involved in this community, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram as United We Stand Podcast. You can find us on Patreon as United We Stand Podcast, where we can continue building discussion. We can talk about ways to actually make this place what we call our home, our country, the vision that we want it to be. I would love to help you figure out how to do that work. And until next time, thank you very much. <laughs>